50% of chance, 50% chance of death after 50 years old with a hip fracture. Yeah, and 50 is not that old. You're putting your body, you're putting your body in an environment are able to notice, wow, we're in a really different environment all of a sudden. We need to change. The only thing the central nervous system can do is change based on environment. You can't mm. look in the mirror and say, wow, central nervous system, I'd really like to lose 10 pounds. Like, that's not the way to communicate with your central nervous system. The way to communicate with your central nervous system is to create an environment where you can't have that 10 extra pounds of body fat, mm. compromising your, your health. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Dr. John Jaquish. Dr. Jaquish is a scientist, researcher, and entrepreneur in the field of osteogenics. He has a PhD in biomedical engineering. Dr. Jaquish, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm pleased to have you. And uh, when I was doing my kind of backstory research about you, then I found out that you actually have like a really inspirational story of what got you into the field of imp improving people's bone health. Can you like give a little, you know, story about it? Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I did this to treat my mother's osteoporosis. That's how I just completely got started on the physical medicine path. And physical medicine, by the way, for those that haven't heard that term, it's using a physical intervention like exercise or nutrition uh, uh, or, or physiotherapy to treat a dysfunction as opposed to pharmaceutical medicine. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> yeah, my mother was diagnosed with osteoporosis and she was upset about it. And I read the statistics and I said, wow, mom, yeah, uh, you could, uh, if you had a, a fragility fracture in your hip that could really like challenge your, your mortality. Uh, hip fractures have an associated, uh, the same level uh, of breast cancer. Mm, wow. death rates. What happens is they break their hip and then it's complications. Either they can't survive the surgery or uh, they, it doesn't heal correctly and they can't walk again. And then, they, then there's just a very rapid decline. 50% of chance, 50% chance of death after 50 years old with a hip fracture. Wow, that's crazy. 50% after 50. Crazy statistic. Yeah, and 50 is not that old. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, I mean, so some, sometimes every once in a while, like I mention osteoporosis, and people are like, oh, that's, that's for like 90-year-olds. No, no, it affects. Uh, now, there are, uh, I talked to somebody in the, in the U.S. military at, um, at West Point, the sort of elite uh, training academy for the Army. <clears throat> and... They told me that they see osteoporosis in their recruits. These are 18-year-old kids. Really? Wow. Because, right, they're playing video games and they're eating garbage food and that's, that's, uh, their, their bone mass is declining. Hmm. What, what, what do you think is, is, is the main cause of uh, declining in bone mass then? Uh, chronic cellular inflammation uh, and lack of activity. It's, it's the combination of those two things. Hmm. Okay. Ultimately... You can eat all the wrong stuff, and if you're active, your your body's still trying to reach homeostasis based on your environment. Mm -hmm. So if you live in an environment where there's hard impacts, uh, there's there's greater likelihood that you'll build bone mass even with poor nutrition. But when you have both, you know mm -hmm. you don't have the proper yeah. nutrients. 
almost every single person with an eating disorder with with like anorexia bulimia or the other <clears throat> associated things has uh, osteoporosis or, or, or uh, compromised bone mass because wow. they're still taking in the nutrients wow. <laughs> there's almost like the, the poor nutrition is almost a guarantee well wow, that's really that's really crazy yeah like uh, yeah. It's, it's also like reflective in the people way or the the way people eat especially like older people uh like uh, ev everyone knows that uh, or in mo in most cases like everyone's grandmas is eating like bread processed uh, bake ba yeah. bakeries and they're not you know lifting anything they're not exercising it's like a like every meal is a pastry yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite crazy but what did you do like to fix your mother's osteoporosis then like so <clears throat> What I did in, like, I looked at the pharmaceutical interventions and so did she, and she was not happy with the recommendations that were, in, that were there. Uh, <clears throat> didn't like the side effects of the drugs, and I was like, good, Mom. Uh, I don't like them either. So what I, uh, what I ended up doing was I said, what if I could find a group of people that have, like, superhuman bone density? Maybe there's a type of athlete out there that has incredible power in their bone. And then if I figure out what they do, maybe I can build a device that'll give that same effect. And uh, it was interesting because that one idea, uh, once I started doing the research, there was a crystal clear example. It was gymnasts. Gymnasts have superhuman bone because of the rate at which they hit the ground. Hmm. When they dismount, sometimes when they do a dismount from the uneven bars, you know, where they flip back and forth between the two bars. <clears throat> they get levels of force through their hip joint that are above 10 times their body weight. Wow. wow. Right. But like nobody lifts in a gym 10 times their body weight. Right. Maybe not even three times their body weight. Hmm. We look at some of the even like strongest lifters in the world. Three times their body weight is like an incredible amount. Of, of force that they could lift full range. So uh, they're just not getting it. So we're getting these incredible forces through a high, high impact. Now, of course, I wasn't going to have my mother in her 70s getting <laughs> this. So I said, what if I could create a device that will give us the benefits of high impact without the risks? And uh, she was cautiously optimistic. And uh, so I designed the world's first robotic musculoskeletal stimulus device where it puts people in a position where you can naturally absorb these high impact forces. So basically like if I were to show you like just with the upper body, if I'm going to get in a position where I'm going to absorb force, you know, I'll show you like this, mm -hmm. like I've got a 120 degree angle right here between my upper and lower arm and I'm going to hold my hand so the back of the hand is in line with the clavicle. So if you trip and fall, this is how you want to protect yourself. You wouldn't want to do this, mm. right. and you wouldn't lock your elbows either, right? Mm. So uh, we want to get people in this position and then allow them, so the, the robotics get them in exactly the right position, and we allow them to self-create force. Mm -hmm. So it works like squeezing a fist. If you squeeze a fist hard enough, can you break your own finger? Maybe <laughs> some people. So the nervous system will let you. It's called. It's a process called neural inhibition. You you will protect yourself. Hmm. In fact, your central nervous system will protect you to the point where it'll actually turn muscles off. Like you hmm. can't do it. So um, 
it was all self-regulatory and then there's computerized biofeedback right in front of the user. And so once, once it was developed within 18 months, my mother went from osteoporosis to having the bones of a 30 year old. Mm -hmm. uh, and she still does. They, they don't even DEXA scan her anymore because her bone density is so, so high. <laughs> well, that's so she went from like the, the dysfunctional state to having abnormally high bone density. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. so, basic, so basically you're uh, stimulating uh, this high, high, high force production at the most beneficial range of motion, so to say, like uh, where you are most uh, effectively stimulating bone density growth the most. And right, right. And, and so now, uh, so I took that device and I filed patents and uh, now it's uh, been licensed, the intellectual property is licensed to a company that was created to build a clinic just around my invention. Mm. Uh, and that's called osteostrong, you see I'm wearing the shirt. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, there are 70 locations uh, around the world. Most of them in the United States. We have a couple in Sweden, a couple in Spain, and we're opening in Denmark and Greece in the next, I think, two months. Nice. Uh, so I mean, just a matter of time before you guys have one uh, where you are. And right. they'll, be, they'll, be all, they'll be all over the world. <laughs> But I've actually, I've actually seen that Tony Robbins also uses it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Tony's a partner in the business. Nice, yeah. 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 <laughs> and I've, I've also heard that Tony also has like superhuman bones or something. <laughs> he does now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because yeah. He, he does like a, lot of, uh, like a lot of jumping up and down and rebounding and other, other things as well. So. Yeah, so I, I, had to, I had to break his heart and tell him that his, the rebounding is not, not building bone mass. <laughs> The osteogenic loading is, which right. is you know provided through the device device I created. No, re rebounding is um, the the real benefit of rebounding is uh, the lymphatic. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's well. Also, you have to keep in mind when when something is researched, you have to. I'm a researcher, so I I have to like very very frequently. I have to explain to people like how research studies work. It's like you take a group of people, you take another group of people and these, you test these people and then you give these other people like some, you know, kind of nonsense test mm -hmm. or you give them like the standard, whatever the standard is. And then you compare the results. <clears throat> and sometimes studies look at sort of silly metrics that don't really have anything to do. Like there was a, uh, a growth hormone study a couple of years ago that uh, determined that growth hormone, exogenous growth hormone, like therapeutic injections of growth hormone, do nothing. Because they tested like, I don't know, it was like blood pressure. That was like their metric. And it was like, wait a minute. And th this was in, I believe it was in the New England Journal of Medicine. Huh. And I read it and I said, nobody said growth hormone reduces your blood pressure. Like, so why would you even test that? You know, like it would be like taking any particular supplement and go, well, it didn't grow my hair back. So obviously it doesn't work. <laughs> like, but nobody said what. Yeah. So, so it just kind of, um, sometimes like these, these research studies can be not necessarily misleading, but you got to look at the tests that they're running. Yeah. And, uh, and coincidentally, the people who wrote the article were cardiologists. So <laughs> they, were, they were testing something based on their field.
but it got picked up by the media. The growth hormone is just like a worthless hormone. It doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah. Right. So just, you know, people, people who don't understand how to read research were interpreting it incorrectly. So, uh, <clears throat> would, know, uh, would, would the, uh, how, how would the osteo strong machine, uh, affect growth hormone? Does it have any effect in this, this, in this sense? Uh, not per se. Um, the, the osteogenic loading process, well, we have, we haven't tested it, but I'll, I'll get into the axis of, of growth hormone in, in a little bit. Cause I did a meta analysis on how to get your body to trigger growth hormone. Mm-hmm. And I found 23 different studies and then I combined them all into one study using statistical analysis. That's what a meta analysis is. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and that, that went awesome. Like it totally establishes like a new principle of human physiology when it comes to growth hormone. But that's not quite what's going on uh, with osteostrong. We're, we're, osteostrong is, is mostly about, and if somebody wants to Google the word mechanotransduction, which really means putting mechanical force through the body and having it change. And, and so I tell, I tell everybody this, but I, I, when I speak at like osteostrong locations to groups of physicians, because groups of physicians get invited in to see if it's right for their patients. Mm-hmm. And so what I say to these physicians is, you guys don't study adaptive response very much. Like they, they're, they're not looking at what kind of environment you put the body in. Ultimately, your central nervous system, everything you do, and the other, the other podcasts I've watched, you're putting your body in an environment where your cells are able to notice, wow, we're in a really different environment all of a sudden. We need to change. Because that's the only thing the central nervous system can do is change based on environment. You can't mm. look in the mirror and say, wow, central nervous system, I'd really like to lose 10 pounds. Like, that's not the way to communicate with your central nervous system. Mm. The way to communicate with your central nervous system is to create an environment where you can't have that 10 extra pounds of body fat. Mm. It's compromising your your health by having that. And so growth hormone goes up, cortisol goes down, you start losing body fat very quickly. You know, sprinters are the best example of that. Do you think they ever eat at a caloric deficit? Never. They gotta be high energy, right? Yeah. They're, not, they're not dieting, <laughs> yet they're completely lean. How? Because their growth hormone is sky high from what they're doing. Again, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. So yeah, yeah it is what, true. Like, like your nervous system is constantly, or the, your nervous system is the gateway between you and the world, so to say, and everything you kind of experience physiologically is mediated through the nervous system. And, right. And the, and the body and the cells are constantly detecting, okay, what kind of an environment uh, are we in and what kind of adaptations do we need to you know, carry through and everything... Right you know, that is related to your body is the result of like adaptation and the necessity right. of, of having to produce like a, bu- a bunch of growth hormone or having to strengthen the bones or having to grow muscles or having to burn fat. So like not, right. nothing happens without like a stimulus or the necessity. Right. You just have to create the environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that so much of exercise and training, uh, even physiotherapy is uh, <clears throat> missing the idea that like 
the sort of the way it goes is first there's the central nervous system to decide that the change needs to be made in the body and then comes endocrine effects. And I think very, very frequently, I'd say the most common, I don't want to call it a mistake, but um, let's call it a, a false positive. <clears throat> that fitness professionals make is they look at electron myography. Like we, we read so many studies about activation of muscle, right? Like you see electron, it's cheap to do an electron myographic study. You know, you see the leads like all over the pectoral and, you know, you see the guy who's in the thing and he's contracting his pectoral in different, you know, angles or whatever and trying to work the muscle at different positions and, and they're all looking at activation, activation, right? But does activation equal growth? Like the, the biggest, the biggest forearm pump I've ever had is riding a bicycle. Or, or, you know, working in the yard, like with a chainsaw. Yeah. But do people who use chainsaws have gigantic forearms? No. Do cyclists have gigantic forearms? No. So why the hell are we looking at EMG? Hmm. So what my approach was, <clears throat> was where are the signals that, create that environment for the central nervous system and then to confirm that the central nervous system noticed where are the endocrine changes, where are the hormonal changes? Are there any? Cause if they're not, they were not doing anything. Mm. And that's, that's just, it's such a massive mistake. I see all the time. I, I remember watching some video of you know, some, uh, I forgot who it was, some pro bodybuilder that was like, doing EMG tests on himself to figure out exactly what exercises activated the most. And I, and I remember watching, I already was kind of where I am mentally and just thinking, wow, like you are just missing the boat here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of people are, are doing exercises that have no endocrine effect at all. Mm. So, um, you know, like, like a leg, a leg sled, versus a squat, you have incredible stimulus of growth hormone in a free weight squat. You have none in a leg press, zero. So if your body is creating an anabolic hormone immediately after you're done exercising, is that a pretty good signal that your body wants to grow muscle there? Yes. If there's no endocrine effect at all, it pretty much tells you that what you were, what you were doing was like trying to get a tan with candles. It doesn't want, it's not doing anything. The central nervous system doesn't see that as like an emergency. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I don't even know what the hell is going on. So just ignored signal. You just tortured yourself for no reason. Right. So what would be like this appropriate signal then for the nervous system? To, to well, build muscle. so yeah, let, let me let me uh, step forward from where we were with with my mother. <clears throat> so my mother reversed her osteoporosis. Now we're doing it for uh, I think we're up to like twenty thousand people are are regularly being treated at OsteoStrong, and uh, they're growing bone density very quickly. Um, also, like the ones, it, it's funny. Like some sometimes it, it doesn't work for people right away, and they take another bone scan, and it doesn't show any growth. 
And then we tell them to get their thyroid checked and they have a dysfunctional thyroid. Right. So you know, there's nutritional uh, aspects of that. And there's, there's some medications to treat thyroid for those people who aren't willing to go down the nutritional path. But ultimately, as soon as they control the thyroid, then typically the bone density starts, starts growing very quickly. But it's great because it helps us catch these thyroid dysfunctions. Mm. Uh, and that, that's fantastic. I, I didn't even see that one coming. <laughs> I was just like, wow, like we're, we're really helping people out. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, because anybody with a dysfunctional thyroid is kind of miserable. And they, they don't know why. Because there's no, it's like they can't lose body fat, they have low energy, and they just think, oh, like I'm getting old. Hmm. And no, it's not it. It's you have dysfunctional gland in your body, mm-hmm. and we can fix it very easily. So, um, so that was fantastic, and, and, and that business is is just flying. And, and Tony is uh, thrilled with the progress, and uh, it's made some some uh, pretty aggressive steps over the last two years to be really improved. Um, the robotics are great. Uh, the user interface that, that people use is great. The customer experience when going in osteostrunk centers is fantastic. So when doing this, and I know this is, this, this is your favorite part, this is where you wanted me to get to, was when, so I looked at the, the loading data, how much force a human is capable of in these impact-ready positions. It was incredible. We had people in like females, in their 90s putting 500 pounds, 237 kilos through their lower extremities, uh-huh. through their legs. That's crazy. And you're right, and you think like, well, wait a minute. Like, these are, and I don't mean like we trained them for two years before they could do that. They could do that on day one. <laughs> and they thought they were weak. Mm. And so I'm, I'm thinking, hmm. It looks like we're very powerful in our stronger range of motion, our impact-ready range of motion. And so I took that data and then I compared it to what the American College of Sports Medicine has for lower extremity loading over a broad population. And what they determine is non-exercisers versus exercisers can typically, on average, put 1.3 multiples of body weight to 1.53 multiples of body weight through their hip joint. Mm-hmm. Now, the minimum dose response for bone growth is 4.2 multiples of body weight. Mm-hmm. That, that was established uh, a couple years after I got started mm-hmm. uh, developing these therapy devices. But it's like, okay, no wonder people get, get osteoporosis. Like, the gym isn't going to save anybody from osteoporosis. Like anybody, 4.2 multiples of body weight is far higher than what people are using in a gym. So, and that, that was great for me because I knew it was like, oh, okay, like, I guess everybody has to go to an osteostrong. There's just no other option. So, uh, but from a muscular standpoint, I thought, wait a minute. And like, I'm probably the most hated guy in fitness for saying this, but like, I looked at the data and I said, this, this pretty much invalidates weight training, hmm. like in general, because if we're that capable in our more powerful ranges of motion, that means we're not using a whole lot of our capability in that stronger range set a different way. And, and somebody mentioned this to me the other day, and uh, uh, it's a physician that said this, 
when we lift, we overload joints and underload muscle. Hmm. And if you think about like in a bench press, the weight you select is whatever you can handle back here. Mm-hmm. What do we know about back here? The shoulders in the worst possible position and the muscles are in the weakest possible position. Right. But that's the place we go to fatigue mm-hmm. in the weakest range. So we're, we're really activating very little muscle in that position and we're torturing the joints. So when you're a kid, when you're 16 years old and you first start lifting weights, your joints are a lot more powerful than your muscle is. So it doesn't bother your joints at all and you start activating muscle. As soon as you get a little bit stronger, then you start feeling pain in your joints. Neural inhibition happens. Basically, the pain in the joint shuts the muscle off and you stop growing. So everybody remembers when they were 16, yeah, I put on like 10 pounds of muscle in a couple weeks uh, when I first started lifting when I was 16 and it just stopped. And I know, I know guys who years and years go by and just like I haven't, I haven't changed at all. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's why. Mm. So I thought, okay, we need something other than weight training. We need, we need a variable resistance device. Now there had been studies with bands done where like somebody, uh, somebody would take like some, some exercise bands and put them with weights. So they're holding like X weight here and you know, 1.2 X here. Well, based on my data, it's like, no, no, that, does, that just scratches the surface. And by the way, the guys who were training with bands were breaking world records. Uh, so just that little bit more of activation in the stronger range yielded them some of the greatest strength that's ever been seen in the world. Hmm. So I, I thought, yeah, but they don't understand exactly how much capability they have in the stronger range of motion, but I do. So I'm going to develop the world's most powerful variable resistance device. So I had custom made like the thickest layered latex bands. I mean, I should grab one. I've got them around here. Um, Thick, Mm. uh, thick latex bands. And then a bar to manage that process. So that like a, like a, like an Olympic bar. So if I'm pushing forward and the, and the band uh, rotates, if I'm, if I'm going and doing like an overhead press, I grab the bar like this and then change the position to press upward that the band doesn't wrap or get twisted or change uh, the, the loading dynamics in, in my wrist, which could cause an injury. And then uh, a high-density platform to create a second ground to attach the bands to. So the thickest latex, the Olympic bar, that was made to, to adapt to these, these heavy layer latex bands and then these ground plates to protect the small joints because like if you look at exercising just with bands by themselves, they twist your wrists and your ankles. Mm-hmm. And you can't, like it's okay for rehab, they use bands in rehab, <clears throat> but if you want a, a serious strength force to go through a joint, you'll destroy your joints trying to use just the band if you're going heavy enough. Right. Uh, it needed the Olympic bar and, and the plate. And once developing the prototype, uh, the first year I used it, I put on 30 pounds of muscle. Wow. And I had been lifting like my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I was one of those guys who like I put on mass when I was 16 and then maybe a little bit more in university and then nothing. Mm. I, when I started, I was 190 at 20% 
body fat and now I'm uh, 220, I'm 100 kilos uh, with 9% body fat. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Right. So now, and now that, that second year, I put on an additional 15 pounds of, of muscle. So I put on 45 pounds of muscle. I'm in my 40s. Right. Hmm. So, like, that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen with anybody. So, <laughs> what well, it looks like it does. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so, that's, so that's the X3 bar then. Yeah. X3 bar. X3bar.com hmm. uh, is, is the website. And uh, that thing just works hmm. fantastic. And, uh, and the funny thing is it's the greatest muscular stimulus device for, for growth, like ever. Mm -hmm. And it's inexpensive. Like it's, I'd, I'd use that over like, you know, a whole gym and, uh, the things just a little over $500. Really yeah, like at first, uh, I, I, when I, when I first tried it, I was also like quite skeptical of, okay, uh, how can just like using these resistance bands, uh, be helping you to kind of like uh, make you build more muscle and make it more effectively. But that, mm -hmm. e even after like the first workout, I was like, okay, yeah, this is some sort of a different stimulus completely, and it yeah. feels uh, very effective. And it, you 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 see like immediate results even from like uh, after a few workouts already, you can see more. Uh, let's say e even like more d muscle density uh, as well as like improved uh, strength. So yeah, like I, w I would have to say that uh, it does kind of provide like a completely novel stimulus for the yeah. muscles and uh, joints. So that's like really yeah. something interesting to be looking out for. Yeah, and, and yeah, right. And injury-free. Uh, it, it's funny. I talk to younger guys about avoiding injury, and they obviously haven't been injured yet because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, that'll never happen to me. All I need to do is lift heavy, and I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you'll call me later. Uh, what, what would be like? What, what would you, what would make it more different from like re traditional resistance training? You mentioned briefly that uh, with regular weights, you're o you're only limited by the uh, most weakest range of motion, yeah. or or you're limited by the amount of weight you you're, where you're weakest at. But with the X3 bar, then you can scale it up to where you are able to lift like the maximum amount of weight. Like, what's the actual difference uh, physiologically? Right. So so. Like, for example, in the chest press, so I use the elite band. It's the heaviest band we have. Uh, so I'm holding 500 pounds, 237 kilos out here. And I do however many reps I can do. This is key for using it right. Mm -hmm. So like, I might do 15 reps where I'm hitting that 500 pounds at the top. And then all of a sudden, I, I can't get there anymore. But I can get to the mid-range, mm -hmm. which is only 300 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I keep going with that and I might get four or five more repetitions in the middle until I can't get there anymore. And then I, I do like one inch repetitions mm -hmm. just at the bottom, but that's where the joints compromise, but it doesn't matter because I'm only holding a hundred pounds. Right. You know, like, so you're, you're stimulating all ranges of motion, uh, yeah, all of them until near failure, near failure for every range of motion. So, right. It's the only way to completely fatigue. A muscle. I only do one set also. Mm -hmm. Like you, the only, only reason people do multiple sets is because the stimulus is lousy in lifting weights. You're activating a very small amount of muscle when you go to fatigue. So that's why people saw better results doing more and more and more sets. 
That's why volume training exists. Well, volume training only exists because weightlifting is just, it's just not as good as it could be if we had variable resistance. Hmm. So with variable resistance, you do one set, you're done. Just wait, wait two days and you'll grow. Uh, another thing I, uh, I, I really push this hard is uh, hit every muscle every two days. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason is protein synthesis ends in 36 hours. I don't care what you do. 36 hours. So now somebody can say like, oh, I train, you know, and I'm, my legs are sore for four days. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right. That's called damage. Yeah. That's not a growth stimulus. Like yeah. the idea of like the micro tears create the growth. No, micro tears happen because you damage muscle. That has nothing to do with growth. Nothing like cyclists have more micro tears than weightlifters do. Mm -hmm. Do they grow more muscle? Absolutely not. So, uh, it, yeah, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah. Like that you, you don't necessarily grow muscle by breaking it down constantly. You grow muscle by creating the environment where the body recognizes that, okay, we need to build muscle because right. it's like necessary for, for in the future, like sending the right signal to the nervous system, so to say. Right. So, um, let me get into the anabolic trigger. So while developing this, I was also doing hormonal research on, um, and I'm one of the editors of the journal of steroids and hormonal science, mm -hmm. um, medical journal. And, uh, uh it's I, one of my favorite medical journals because it's looking at uh, both exogenous, meaning external use of anabolic chemicals to treat diseases, uh, as well as getting the body to trigger anabolic hormones itself, mm -hmm. which is where I wanted my field of study. It's a lot of my biomedical engineering uh, background was, was, was looking at that. Like, how do we get the body to decide to make more testosterone, more growth hormone, and suppress cortisol? Like if we can figure out how to do that, everybody's just a walking Formula One car. So how do we get there? So I, I, uh, I found 23 different data sets. I had a theory and it was based on sprinters. Remember what I said about sprinters earlier? Mm -hmm. They're super lean. They have super high growth hormone. They don't cut their calories ever. They can't. You, you can't be low energy and run like that. So <clears throat> now some of them are ketogenic, some of them do fast, uh, but ultimately you, you can't be at like a, you know, what, what is like, you know, the, the, the bodybuilders who are like doing a 500 calorie deficit per day mm -hmm. and they're low energy and they're angry all the time. Like that's what a sprinter can do. So uh, how are they doing it? So, when I look at a video, and this, this was like the, the moment that switched in my mind. When I look at a video of somebody sprinting, they've got a huge stride. They're using their arm to throw back so that they can pivot their pelvis with the momentum of their upper body shifting to, for a longer step, a longer stride. Everything is moving more than with a distance runner, except one thing, except the skull. The skull looks like it's lined up with a laser. Doesn't move. Hmm. 
And so it's just a major difference. Like they're moving more. Every joint is moving more with a sprinter versus a distance runner. And a distance runner, you look at their skull and their skull's bouncing up and down like this, mm -hmm. like the rest of their body. So the distance runner wants to activate the least amount of muscle to carry them forward because they're trying to conserve energy. Mm. The sprinter is not trying to conserve energy. The sprinter is trying to go fast. Mm. So in an effect of going fast, you need great balance. To get great balance, you need great stability. So there's stabilization firing going all over the body to keep that skull just totally lined up. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, stabilization firing. Like, has anybody looked at that? And so what I ended up finding, and uh, I, I, I decided to do a meta-analysis. So if I can find however many studies that there were out there that could confirm this, uh, we could potentially find another, like an actual physiological mechanism of triggering growth hormone upregulation. So the theory was stabilization firing equals growth hormone upregulation. Up, up and so what I ended up finding uh, was 23 different data sets from different areas of medicine. Uh, most of them using vibration or, or just stabilization in, in general, because vibration makes you unstable. Uh, and all 23 of these studies confirmed that there was a massive upregulation of growth hormone when the stabilization was challenged. When a muscle is recruited involuntarily, it's called the spinal reflex. It's called that because it does, the signal doesn't even go to your brain, it goes to your spine and bounces right back. Less than a millisecond is how long it takes to trigger a spinal reflex. So every time you lose your balance, you trigger spinal reflexes. Every time, you know, when, you, when, you're, when the physician hits your knee with the, the mallet, that same thing. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> uh, that's what we need in rapid succession to upregulate growth hormone. Now, that also explains the study, and this was one of the, the references in this, in this paper, was the study that looks at the squat in free weight versus the leg press. So with a squat, the guy who's squatting, he's having to activate his core, uh, activate his, his uh, femoris erector, <coughs> his quadratus muscles, everything to keep stable, to keep from tipping over mm. with that big weight. Either, you know, some guys are like this doing it forward. That's the smarter way, by the way. Um, so, these guys who are squatting, and, and trainers have known for years, you just get better results out of squats, even though you use more weight with a leg press, for some reason squats just work better. Hmm. And that's why, because your, your body knows what that is, and, and uh, that upregulation of growth hormone coinciding with the exhaustion of muscle, you created the hormone and the receptor at the same time. So the hormone goes right to the receptor. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's, that's one of the problems with um, exogenous use. When somebody injects a hormone in their body, the hormone can go wherever it wants to go. Like it's not necessarily going to go where these people want it to go. Right. So it's much better to upregulate naturally. Mm. And so the stabilization firing was tremendous. Now with X3, 
because you're showing the body uh, stabilization plus force, which equals more stabilization. So if I'm doing an overhead press with, with X3, I'm, I'm holding the weight over, over my head. So it's a lighter weight here, which is easier on my shoulders. As soon as I get it over my head, I'm holding way more than I ever would hold I'd even ever be able to get in the gym. So, I mean, my whole body's like jackhammering as I'm coming down okay. because I'm holding a weight that's way beyond anything I'd, I'd ever use. But then once I get down into the weaker range of motion, the weight drops off mm -hmm. because the, the latex isn't as stretched. Yeah. So massive stabilization firing plus more load than I could ever handle equals more stabilization firing, tremendous growth hormone mm. results, which is why when people use X3, they lose a ton of body fat too. Yeah, like, like uh, I've also seen that uh, most of the growth hormone during exercise is also released during like the eccentric uh, contraction. So if you are doing like with the X3 bar, then you're experiencing a ton of like eccentric contraction as well if you're hitting like the near oh, yeah. And controlled. And when you control it, especially when you move slow, like when you see, when, a lot of people skip the, the videos that I did for the, there's a 12 week program that comes with it, but mm -hmm. a lot of people just want, they just look at the picture of the exercises and they go, oh, and I see them, you know, they're kind of doing this sort of thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to move real slow. Like if you watch me in the video, I'm going so slowly mm -hmm. moving up and down and you see like I'm shivering going up, up and down the whole way. Yeah. Yeah, like too. Yeah, whenever I'm, I myself I'm using it as well. Then yeah, it is like constant uh, contraction all the time, and uh, stabilization is all, all the, always involved. And it requires you to always, uh, you know, be be careful with uh, not not going it too fast because you can you can kind of lose it, lose the stimulus mm -hmm. a little bit. And uh, like it is like firing in entire uh, during the one set that you're gonna do. Yep. Yeah, uh, but uh, what what would make uh, muscles grow? Like we mentioned, growth hormone, but uh, uh, growth hormone itself isn't like uh, the key part for stimulating muscle growth. Like, what would be the other uh, factors? Well, the other one's testosterone, and testosterone usually is upregulated based on weight, how much. So it's it's the heaviness of something. Okay. Uh, how much muscle gets recruited? Well, obviously, based on how X3 works, you're recruiting more muscle than you've ever recruited in your life. Mm -hmm. Like you can even be doing it like in in sort of a light. Like like I can I can do a set where I go 30 repetitions. The repetitions are higher, also. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't expect that. Uh, and the reason is because you're handling so much more force in the strongest range of motion it takes a hell of a lot more effort to exhaust the strongest range of motion. It's something most people have never done before, ever. Mm. So people who lift have never done it before. So once that happens, there's a major testosterone upregulator and, and the, uh, that contributes to the, to the idea that it's total body transformation. You're dropping body fat really quickly and putting on mass. Yeah. Like, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, people tend to lose some body fat with it. I do notice that it is like a very, almost like, almost like a cardio workout uh, with the X3 bar as well, because it really gets your heart rate going and right. it's, it gets the muscles firing and it is. And there's really four cool. sets. You do yeah. four sets in one workout yeah. and you're just like 
completely wiped out. Mm. You think like, how the hell am I wiped out after four sets? That's why. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's not like wiped out completely as you would uh, when when going to the gym. Like for instance, you hit the gym and uh, you you basically destroy your one muscle group, and you, then you allow you you can't train for an entire week or something with the X three bar. Then you're doing it because it's like uh, somewhat lower in the sets and lower in total volume. You will also like recover faster, and you, you you're oh. able to stimulate the same signal more frequently throughout the week, which is in, which right. itself is gonna result in more uh, muscle growth, so to say. Right, right. You have more growth phases per week. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be like like you only get so much out of one growth phase? So wouldn't it be better to have more phases of growth? So like each muscle in my body has three phases of growth per week, whereas most people have one or two. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It is like uh, like even even like in traditional weightlifting, they see that uh, generally more frequent uh, workouts and more frequent full body workouts uh, tend to be causing more muscle growth and uh, even like uh, greater strength gains as well. So because of like the higher frequency and uh, the ability to overload the muscles more frequently with that as well. True. Yeah. Uh, but uh, how long? You mentioned that. Uh, uh, the muscle building signal or the pr- protein synthesis remains elevated for up to like 36 to 48 hours as such. Uh, what would you do in the meanwhile after having done the X3 workout and have, have given yourself the s- s- stimulus? What would you do afterwards to help with the process? Well, uh, there's, there's no way to, I mean, other than proper nutrition, you mean? Mm-hmm. I mean? Obviously, getting the proper nutrition, which... I'm making a lot easier for people. Uh, I think there's, a, God, there's so much misconception. I, I told you, you know, uh, earlier today, like uh, social media is really making people misinformed because there's no filter of what's wrong and what's right. Mm-hmm. And so people share what they like as opposed to what's correct. So, you know, like when Dave Asprey says fat is good for you, People are like, oh, cool, because I love cheese pizza, and that's got a ton of fat in it, so I guess that's healthy. Yeah. And that, that's sort of what, what these people are sharing. And because I'm generalizing here, but you know, all stereotypes exist for a reason, so mm. uh, I see the pattern of behavior, whereas sort of the, the people with lesser intelligence seem to have more time on their hands, and they seem to be sharing more stuff on social media which means that quality of information is worse Mm -hmm. because they have no ability to judge what's correct and what's not. So, uh, yeah, it just, it's just like, I, it's like the global nexus of fitness, nutrition, and political misinformation. (laughs) We just, it's it's garbage. It is true. Uh, Yeah. Like you don't, you don't need to have any sort of qualification to hit that share button. So, you know that's that's why that's why this kind of thing happens. Yeah, like people tend to also uh, get their results based on the quality of information that they're getting, so to say. If they are yeah. taking bad advice, then they're not going to get any good results either. So, to, and uh, yeah. on, only the people who actually uh, adopt some sort of quality information or listen to quality sources, then those people tend to see greater results as well, just because of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we mentioned uh, this quality nutrition and such. So uh, what kind of foods will be then uh, kind of stimulating 
uh, this muscle growth and uh, sending the similar response to your muscles to grow? Well, uh, it's been known for a long time that the, for muscle growth, protein is key. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the fears of like <clears throat> kidney damage, no, those have all been mm. dispelled. Um, so, and there have been populations that ate almost exclusively protein with a little bit of fat and no carbohydrate, and they lived just as long as everybody else. Uh, so, so the, the higher protein, higher fat diets are fantastic. Um, the launch of X3 was on Dave Asprey's podcast and Dave, Dave and I have been friends for a long time. So obviously I'm, uh, in, I'm, I'm a fan of ketogenesis and I try and get most people who use X3, like we have a nutrition program, which is pretty easy to follow. Mm. The biggest push is just getting sugar and refined carbohydrates out of your diet. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I, what I tell people to do is something really easy to follow. What I do personally is a little tougher to follow. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty open about that. I'm, I'm, uh, pretty much pure carnivore. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm pretty much steak and water. Right. What, what do you think about uh, people telling that uh, things like mTOR from uh, eating meat and such is going to be like uh, giving you cancer and such? It's all been disproven. Mm. Like a lot of those studies were uh, epidemiology studies and the problem. So like the problem, the big, the big colon cancer study, which was the, the one that everybody ran, this is no, six or seven years ago where it was like meat causes cancer. Well, if you read the study, it wasn't about meat. It was about nitrate meat. Right. Well, is it nitrates or is it meat? Which is the, which is causing people a problem. Also, they found people, I think it was a thousand people they found, and these are all based on survey, yeah. which don't control for other points of data. So they found people, a thousand people, who for 40 years ate nitrate meat every single day. So nitrate meat is like a hot dog. Yeah. I, in Eastern Europe, I don't even think you have like processed hot dogs. I think you have like German sausages, which is completely a different thing. Mm -hmm. like, like in the United States, uh, 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 like super highly processed, like you can keep them in your freezer for years mm -hmm. uh, and then throw them on the grill and you can eat them. I mean, I wouldn't, but you can't. So uh, if somebody's eating a cheap loaded with preservatives, hot dog every day for 40 years are they doing that for health reasons or are they doing that because they don't care about anything probably the latter so these individuals probably also drank more alcohol probably were more likely to smoke cigarettes they're also probably likely to have unprotected sex uh, do all kinds of other things that Made, made you know they didn't care about the impact of their health obviously right. so and even that even even with all those other factors that couldn't be controlled for there was only a two percent difference hmm. in the likelihood of colon cancer and since then they've done some better epidemiology studies that did control for more things 
like you know alcoholics were excluded from the study and and and, and uh, people who were habitual smokers uh people who did other things that were associated with challenging their longevity mm -hmm. uh, and what they found was that the vegetarian lifestyle and the meat eating lifestyle there's no difference in mortality no mm. the same yeah so, now, what, what, what i like to also like point out is that uh, uh it's it doesn't make sense that mtor is gonna you know give you cancer because uh, mTOR is also well it's it can mechanistically but at the same time mTOR is also like necessary for surviving you wouldn't survive without mTOR because mTOR is like the anabolic switch that helps to build muscle and uh, helps your cells to survive so to say you you would die if you didn't have any mTOR at all so it's always sure. a matter of context and for instance if people are doing resistance training and they are lifting weights and such, then mTOR is actually going to be beneficial for their longevity because it can help them to build muscle. And muscle yeah. is actually one of the best uh, predictors of healthy aging and uh, increased right. longevity as well. Right. The more muscle mass you have later in life, the longer you're going to live. you got to give your organs something to supply. Yeah. If they have nothing to supply, they stop functioning. Exactly. <clears throat> right. So, and, and, it, and it leads me to one of the things that that I say frequently is there's no such thing as a bad hormone. Like your body doesn't make like mm. cortisol isn't like a bad hormone. We talk about it like, Oh, cortisol, you don't want that. Mm. Well, yeah, except it has reasons it exists. Mm. Um, it's sort of like, think about cortisol as like the brakes on your car. Mm. Well, nobody wants to slow down. Well, until you have to, until you, you know, want to avoid hitting another car. Mm -hmm. Right. So like there's reasons that cortisol is there. Now you don't want to oversaturate your body with cortisol. Otherwise you'll be obese and you'll be in chronic inflammation, but inflammation and cortisol exist for a reason. And as long as you let them exist for a reason and you're managing yourself to only have those instances when they need to happen, then, then it's, Becomes yeah. a, a matter of, a matter of context always like uh, nothing is either good or bad like only the context right. saying mTOR causes cancer is like saying muscle causes cancer yeah yeah it's true just like <laughs> no here's another thing the stabilization firing upregulates growth hormone growth hormone is associated with uh, specifically IGF one which is uh, mm. upregulated along along with their their uh, kind of symbiotic mechanism basically mm -hmm. growth comes idea for it. Someone says, well, if you upregulate growth hormone, you're increasing your chances of cancer. Yeah. I said, okay, rephrase that. What you're saying is exercise causes cancer. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The same with like sauna. Last I checked, human reflexes were part of everything we do athletically. Mm. So does that mean every dancer is going to have cancer because they dance? Because they have higher growth hormone, they go through stabilization firing in mass all the time. Yeah, yeah, and also like and they're also lean. Yeah, and for instance, like saunas, heat saunas also upregulate growth hormone. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a, like a lot of studies that people who take regularly heat saunas they have like less cardiovascular disease. Right. So it's like uh, the heat sauna is gonna increase growth hormone, which will increase IGF one 
which is yeah. going to give you cancer, but at the same time prevents you getting from heart, get, get, getting like a heart disease. So it doesn't make sense. Like it's always right. like a matter of context, and these hormones get expressed in different scenarios differently. Right. Also, it's it, remember what I said about upregulating uh, within the body and then creating a, a receptor site. Mm-hmm. Like so. When you are doing an exercise, when you're when you're doing that stabilization, uh, you know, overhead press or a deadlift, same thing with X3, I'm upregulating growth hormone, while at the same time exhausting muscle, mm-hmm. which upregulates the receptor sites. So basically, your body creates a hormone when it's got a place to put it and use it. Mm-hmm. But the people who are using hormones that they take in a pill or in an injection. Those go wherever the hell they want, where they, wherever they end up, which is like why bodybuilders have these huge stomachs, you know, because what happens is the growth hormone goes into the intestines wow. and grows the intestines. <laughs> yeah. So they have, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah I've seen those. Yeah. those are extended crazy. stomachs where they have these, it looks like they have a, a, a sea turtle <laughs> in their stomach, yeah. like a huge shell like sticking out. Yeah. And that's why, because they're also eating a lot of food. So there's a very active intestines. So the growth hormone ends up in the intestines and grows the intestines. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the massive downside of exogenous hormone use. Hmm. You want endogenous hormones because those are created when there's a purpose for those hormones. So instead of going to feed a cancer cell, they're going to whatever you're stimulating. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, yeah. If you have like elevated uh, growth signal in the muscle, then uh, the the protein you eat and such, or the mTOR you stimulate, will be directed towards the recovery of the muscle and muscle growth because it's the body detects that okay, we need it. It it's it's it finds itself in this environment where muscle growth is more important than than cancer growth, so to say. Right. Yeah. Your, your, your body knows where to put it. In fact, cancer cells are not connected to the central nervous system. They can't ask for anything. Mm. They pick up what's there, what wow. they can. So they're almost like parasitic cells. Mm-hmm. They can't, like a muscle can call for something to the central nervous system. And that's like when, uh, when, when this, this was a theory that a lot of people had. <clears throat> for a long time. Can you be cancer proof if you're ketogenic? Mm-hmm. Is it possible? Because cancer cells live on glucose. If you deprive the body of glucose and the only glucose you have comes from gluconeogenesis, well, does that mean your cancer cells can never receive nutrients and they'll ultimately die off? So that theory was around for a long time and now they're they're starting to prove that theory. There's been a couple studies that show that people who go carnivore, they, they can't actually feed the cancer. So a lot of the studies that, that look at meat versus not meat, like the people who were eating those hot dogs, that study mm-hmm. where they eat was the rest of their nutrition, just candy bars and Twinkies. It might've been yeah. right. Yeah. So like, it's not like they found a thousand people who only ate meat and nothing else. They didn't control for that either. 
So if both groups are saturating their body with glucose, usually oversaturating their body, as we do with the typical Western diet, massively, Mm. uh, well, then everybody's susceptible to cancer. But is it possible to cancer-proof yourself by going carnivore or going uh, uh, ketogenic? Mm. And um, what I might... My comment to vegans, because I get a lot of vegans that say, like, I love X3, but man, like your nutrition, like I can't be ketogenic and vegan. And I go, okay, number one, I don't know if that's true. I think you actually can. You just have to eat a lot of processed foods. Hmm. The problem is if a vegan were to eat all vegetables, they wouldn't be able to have enough calories in their body to survive. So they end up eating processed stuff. Right. And so I'm saying, okay, you're gonna have to eat processed stuff. Processed uh, oat protein, wheat protein, not wheat protein, uh, uh, like alfalfa, hmm. pea protein. Um, those things are certainly better than eating a bunch of candy bars. Because I think what happens with vegans is because they're just, hungry all the time they have to go the other direction they're not going to have any animal protein so the only other concentrated form of calories is basically like candy Mm. (laughs) yeah right or pizza or whatever like something processed it's got a lot of calories rammed together is this the only way they can survive and so i think like like that that they're putting themselves in a really challenging position unless those concentrated foods they have are much smarter Mm. and i I think some of the vegan nutritionists are realizing what people are doing to live that lifestyle and they're trying to engineer some better food products Mm. that have more fat and protein Mm. so i I think it can be done ultimately humans can thrive on all types of different nutrition like i think carnivore is the easiest Mm. and uh, i know i know i feel great with it yeah it is it is it is true that uh, a vegan keto diet is somewhat uh, difficult and uh, really restrictive it's so hard Uh, but it can be done yeah i wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the muscles and such Uh, what would how would uh, what's the difference between like uh, strength and uh, size in the muscles like in terms of hypertrophy Well, uh, the biggest differentiator, like you see a gymnast and they have an incredible power to weight ratio, right? Whereas like, like you see like a 140 pound gymnast doing the same weight in a deadlift that like the 250 pound weightlifter does. Mm -hmm. And a lot, oftentimes you'll see gymnasts go into some of the lighter weight classes of weightlifting and just dominate. Because they're incredible power weight ratio. So there's two types of muscular growth. There's sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and myofibril hypertrophy. <clears throat> and what we see is sarcoplasmic really has to do with fuel load deprivation. So you have uh, you exhaust the fuel. This is what most people do when they when they go to the gym going through sets uh, like volume training and and many sets, they're exhausting the ATP glycogen to creatine phosphate, the three fuels 
that are in the, in the muscles. Exhausting that to such an extent where blood has to rush back in and they have to replace the, the, the central nervous system, blood supply replaces those fuels. So it's really the, the lack of oxygen that calls for the blood flow. But that blood flow then brings in more uh, glucose and insulin and more ATP, glycogen, and creatine phosphate is made. And that volumizes the cell. So like the, some of the biggest guys are doing that type of training. That's definitely like a bodybuilder style training. Myofibril hypertrophy, however, comes from a very different stimulus. So this is more like gymnast muscle. This is when your body sees a lack, instead of a lack of fuel, it's a lack of structure. So this happens when you go to fatigue in like the stronger range of motion through high impact, for example. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing like jump training and you're slamming against the ground with, you know, five times your body weight, like guys jump from these big blocks. By the way, it's the down jump that's actually making you more powerful. Hmm. The up jump, don't really mean anything. Okay. I think it's so funny, I see these guys jump up and then they step down. <laughs> like, no, 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 the impact is the important part. They're skipping the important part and they're doing all the other <laughs> stuff they don't need to do. So, <laughs> so, um, so these high impact absorptions are getting this, this myofibril effect. <clears throat> Now, uh, that's why size and strength aren't always related, but they, they are related because ultimately the person with more uh, sarcoplasm who holds more ATP glycogen and creatine phosphate has a uh, sort of medium-term muscular endurance that can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. So they might not have an incredible explosiveness. Like bodybuilders yeah. don't become sprinters very easily. <laughs> But their muscular endurance, like how many contractions under a heavy load they can do, is incredible. Mm. So it's because they got a lot of fuel in that muscle. Mm. Whereas the explosiveness of a gymnast, a gymnast can become a sprinter very easily. Mm. Very easily. Because they've got that, that instantaneous power because they've had so much myofibril growth, the density of the cell. Right. And this also coincides with what's been seen with periodization training. You're asking great questions, man. This is, I'm hitting a lot of stuff I really love. So periodization training tries to go from like more explosive type exercise over a, a couple of weeks and then moves into more volume type training. And so for a few weeks you work on uh, the more gymnast type effect, the myofibril type effect, and then you shift in to the more sarcoplasmic type effect. But with, like with X3, you get the myofibril effect when you're doing the full reps. And then as soon as you can't do the full reps, then the mid reps, you're running out of contractile fuel. Mm. So phase one, which I call what's going on out here is you're getting the myofibril effect. You're showing the body a lack of structure and therefore that protein synthesis can happen. And there's always a little bit of myofibril effect with, with weightlifting, but we're talking about like in mass, how do we get it? like a massive amount of stimulus to show the central nervous system there's a lack of structure uh, within the cells, which creates more structure in the cells, myofibril growth, greater density of each cell. Right. And then you run out of fuel, so the two things are happening 
just seconds apart. So you're getting almost like both of both of the effects for the myofibril, which is like strength, as well as the sarcopasmic, which will increase the actual uh, hypertrophy and uh, the aesthetic, so to say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How would how would it how would it translate over to like uh, the traditional weightlifting scenario? Like, if you do get stronger with the X3 bar and you build more muscle with it, uh, how correlative is that in uh, traditional, let's say, bench press and such and squatting? Anybody who goes back and checks what their old lift was is capable of a far greater output. So it makes you a lot stronger in in all regards. So like, like people who compete, uh, they say, well, you know, I don't, I don't really want to fire my muscles in this pattern because it's not used to that. And this is not what my competition is like. So I want to, I want to practice my weightlifting in a way that's more like my competition. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're saying something that's very correct. Ultimately, like if, if, uh, you swing a golf club for a living, you're a professional golfer going out and playing tennis kind of like firing in the wrong pattern, right? So can you detrain yourself? Can you screw up your swing? I don't know. Like, we don't have enough data on that. We have some anecdotal data, but, you know, that's just somebody says, yeah, it screwed up my swing. And you're like, well, really? Or did you hurt yourself while you're maybe doing that other thing or something? Mm. Like, it's, you don't want to, you don't want to jump to conclusions based on one piece of anecdotal data or even multiple. <clears throat> but what what the objective of X3 is is it's it's not teaching you how to fire in a pattern. It's like like a bench press is two things. It's raw output and it's a skill. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to balance that bar and move it through space and keep it stable. Mm-hmm. Hold it, right? So that's a skill. That's like swinging a golf club. So you fire in a certain pattern. So like if somebody only does X3 and never touches a weight, are they going to be great at the bench press? Not the first time they try it. They're going to be all over the place because that's not what they do. So the objective of X3 is to make you as strong as possible. Way better than weights. Right. But it doesn't mean you get the skill. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like there, there's this neurological component to lifting weights as well. Like it is a skill that you have to teach yourself of how do you yeah. position yourself and how do you move and so and such. Right. Like even even if a gymnast may have like really high relative strength, uh, then they may not still be able to like lift as much weight as a power lifter would because they aren't used to doing that same motion. So to say, there right. there isn't like a similar functionality. But they will probably like learn it quite quite fast after they they do go over it. Uh, because right. the the uh, foundation is still there, right? So ultimately, when I tell people <clears throat> like how much is going to translate, I say, look, if you want to be competitive in weightlifting, do your lifting first, and then finish with your X three set mm. for each part. That way, you're firing in the right pattern. You're keeping the body trained on that skill, and then you stimulate the muscle to the most powerful uh, stimulus you can you never get. And then so you're growing as much muscular tissue and keeping that pattern. So for the people who have done that, all of their lifts have just skyrocketed. 
Yeah. That's ex- that's like exactly what I've been doing at home as well. Like uh, I use a lot of these gymnastics rings and uh, like I do handstands and uh, everything like front no, levers and such. And uh, I do those things first and practice the skill, so to say. And then I kind of finish off with the X3 bar, which is like actually much more fun, so to say, because I get to uh, spend more time on the skills without worrying of, of, of like needing to hit a muscle failure, so to say. I get to hit the muscle failure with the X3 bar and I get to focus more on the skills themselves. So it's, uh, it's been actually a lot fun with that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, how how the, so uh, uh, we we've talked about the X3 bar a bunch and uh, uh, what does the like actual workout routine then look like? It's like very short and brief, but uh, what kind yeah. of exercises are you doing? So because of that 36-hour protein synthesis window, what I, I split the body in two ways, uh, and maybe ultimately everything I'm doing is a suggestion. <clears throat> Somebody is training for a certain event or somebody really wants to work on their hamstrings and glutes. Uh, so like pretty much the questions from females mostly have to do with hamstrings and glutes because the larger you make your hamstrings, the less cellulite shows, right? So they grow that muscle in the back of their leg and it stretches out the skin, no more cellulite. Cellulite exists for one of two reasons. Well, maybe both of two reasons actually, but there's two reasons excess body fat, but then also you've got an underdeveloped muscle under there. So the deadlift with the X3 bar is so effective, whereas a lot of these women would never want to do a heavy deadlift because they're afraid of getting injured. And, and, you know, or, or they wouldn't even, they might do a deadlift, but they'll, you know, grab like a 20 pound bar or something. It's not going to do anything. So it gives them the relevance and strength and the, and the benefit of the variable resistance. So what I recommend and how it is applied is different. And I'm also going to get uh, d- different sort of uh, people, uh, like I'm going to get a CrossFit competitor to do like a CrossFit readiness program, which is more geared at making them better at CrossFit, mm-hmm. breaking their personal bests. Because right now there's CrossFitters doing it, and they're they said my I'm, I got personal records broken all over the place since getting the X3, and it's like I, I need I need someone I need the right person to do it I need someone who's influential in that in that field mm-hmm. uh, to develop a specific like CrossFit program to help CrossFitters and so everything I say is a suggestion everything I say is also kind of bodybuilder focused mm-hmm. or I should say aesthetics focused. Because I think that's what people care the most about. Yeah. Like, mostly the reason people exercise is to look good. Right. So, yes, I have bicep curls in there. But is there a good reason? Is there a functional reason to have large biceps? Not really. You're not going to be a better gymnast because you have bigger biceps, right? So, um, that's the way I use it. Like, when Ben Greenfield uses it, I think he only does, like, overhead press, deadlift, and squats. Hmm. That's all he does. Oh, you know, he does, he does bench press too. Right. Yeah. The chest press. And so he does four of the eight movements. So like the calf raises, he doesn't do because you are activating your calves in a deadlift. Mm. Yeah. Right. And, he, and his argument is that's the functional way of using the calves. Great. I want my calves to look like somebody glued a steak on the back of my leg. <laughs> and that's what my calves look like. 
They're ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, that's what I wanted. So I got what I want. I wanted that aesthetic effect. Um, but I'm not competing in Spartan races, and he is. Mm. So that's why he's doing what he's doing. So like ultimately, the way I programmed it, it's four movements per exercise, per, per workout. So I'll do uh, one day is chest press, squats, uh, overhead press, and tricep pushdowns in any order you want. Mm -hmm. And then the next day is deadlift, bent over row, bicep curl, and calf, calf raises. Mm -hmm. So that, that gets everything, and that gets everything from an aesthetic perspective. Uh, like as you advance in the program, you go from two leg squats to one leg squats. Um, the reason I, I prefer the one leg squat is like, unless you're a kangaroo, you walk on one leg at a time, right? I mean, functionally, we talk about functional training all the time, but then we don't train functionally. Right. So yeah. like, like the only time you use two legs is when you stop, mm. like, or an impact, like with what we do at OsteoStrong, like that's two legs. Mm -hmm. If you're moving, you're using one leg at a time. Yeah. So like, do you think sprinters go and squat? No, they don't want to do that at all. It's like totally the wrong firing pattern. Yeah. So, uh, so we get on one leg at a time. And also it allows you to put all of your body's resources into one quadricep, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and one glute, you know, combo firing pattern. So we do what's like a split squat. And so where your, your, your front leg is getting the load and uh, you can put a lot more force through one leg at a time. You can't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you, yeah. when you sort of combine yeah. it. It is, it is indeed like a really good way to promote hypertrophy, especially as well as like burn some, a ton of body fat with it. And uh, I've been using it for maybe like uh, two weeks. And I do notice that uh, the, even though you're not like compared to the amount of time that you're exercising with it, like the results are, you know, magnificent in terms of like, uh, you don't really have to spend that much time at the gym. You don't get you don't uh, fatigue your uh, nervous system that much either. Like you, you, you get to like sleep better. You have yeah. like more time to do other stuff. And uh, it is in terms of like uh, looking at what is like real biohacking. Then I think this X rebar is really like something that uh, you know is can be considered like a biohack in terms of uh, your yeah. you're, you're doing something that you wouldn't kind of get from a regular way of exercise, and right. it does kind of show show as well. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> and, I'm, and definitely you, you yourself have seen like amazing results in terms of muscle growth and the fat loss and such. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to what, what's going to happen in the next few weeks as well. So yeah, something to look out for. <laughs> uh, but uh, where can uh, I really enjoy talking with you and uh, we're, we're starting to wrap up the show as well. Uh, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about uh, you and your, your work? Uh, there's x3bar.com. Uh, that's, that's where you'll read the most about X3. Uh, my website, if somebody wants to review some of my research, is johnjakewish.com, J-A-Q-U-I-S-H. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, uh, my, my work is there. Uh, you can download uh, the PDFs of uh, what, I've, what I've published. A uh, link to my book, Osteogenic Loading. Uh, and also a couple of videos of like, when I've been on different news reports and uh, Different, speaking at different different events, uh, and then there's uh, my my company is uh, Jake Wish Biomedical, mm -hmm. so um, 
you can learn about some of the other things that we're working on. Uh, I got another couple products in the queue uh, that are really cool. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Looking forward to them. <laughs> yeah. I also uh, like on social media. If they want to. They want to follow me. The uh, my Facebook page is just Dr. John Jakewish. And then it's uh, at Dr. Jake Wish for, for Instagram. I put I, every day I put like a little like tip, mm. uh, something that people just haven't been thinking of. I think uh, some, some people really, really find those useful. All right. Yeah. All the links will be in the show notes for people to check out. And cool. uh, my last question is uh, what would be this one piece of advice or a habit that you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? I can only pick one, huh? Uh, <clears throat> Sleep. I did a, a sleep analysis and uh, I, I, the conclusions I came to were obvious, but I got a couple of allergy issues and I never liked taking medication. And so like sometimes I'll just be like coughing all night long and I don't get any sleep. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I had to address those kinds of things. Right. Uh, also, like, I, um, I'm, I'm really active in the charity community in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco, and uh, we drink. And so, uh, yeah, alcohol is not the friend of sleep. <laughs> yeah, so, like, if, you do, if you do a sleep study, you, you download, you can get an app on your phone called, like, Sleep Cycle. There's a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think they want to have a sleep cycle. <clears throat> you lay the phone. with It's got an accelerometer in it. And you put it in bed next to you. You've got to be sleeping alone for this. So like you got a wife or a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. You want to make sure it's when you're traveling and you don't have somebody else in the bed. And it's tracking how often you move because there's very strong correlation to the quality of sleep and what phase of sleep you're in and how much movement there is in your body. If you're in deep sleep, you don't move. Mm-hmm. And so like the nights where you have alcohol, you're, you're never getting into deep sleep. You're just thrashing around all night. And uh, so it's just a really crap quality of sleep. So like I didn't realize that until uh, probably like six months into the development of X3 as I'm looking like at everything because I need to make the gr- greatest recommendations for all the users of X3. I got to help them optimize everything. So it's just a lot of things I just didn't look at for myself. And as soon as I realized that, I thought, oh, alcohol sucks so uh so th- those two things uh are tremendous hmm. yeah. yeah it is true like sleep is one of the most important things and you know mo- most of the growth hormone and anabolic growth also happens during yeah. sleep so that's right yeah that's true well yeah i really enjoyed talking with you john jack and uh we'll looking forward to your other uh inventions in the future as well so it's uh exciting times <laughs> i believe awesome yeah all right I'll see you All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. Also, if you want to get yourself one of those X3 bars, then head over to the show notes and find the link to the X3 bar store. And you will also get a $50 discount code from that. So head over to the show notes and use the link there. But other than that, thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you like it, share it around. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered.